What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are watching and listening another epic episode. And this one is really going to be special of Untold Stories, where twice a week we get to dive deep with some of the most brilliant people in the world, brightest crowns in the box, founders of Bitcoin, those who are trailblazing crypto, those who are really like turning trauma into success, those who have used their personal success and failures to help other people have success in their lives. It's free information. We're getting so much content, so much information on the show. Web3, we're talking about NFTs, the metaverse. We're weaving this whole nuanced narrative together, you and I, to truly, truly understand how this movement came to be, where we are right now, and where we're going in this in the future. This is episode 270-something. I am your grateful host, Charlie Shrem. I'm very excited to announce and I'm honored to uh, introduce our guest today, Nia Anna Simone. You are, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to it. <laughs> same, same. You're the founder and CEO of Melanated Studios, the first, one of the first black woman owned and, and operated blockchain technology services company in the NFT and, and metaverse space. But before that, you're a multi-award winning, nationally recognized writer of literary fiction. Your books have been sold in over 20 countries. You're acknowledged as an original voice of fiction by Borders Bookstore with your debut novel, Reaching, Black, uh, uh, Reaching Back. Uh, actually, one of your, your other novels, Reborn, was a New York Times bestseller list. And um, you have this, this whole trilogy of books I'm very jealous of because I'm still trying to write my first book it's like a multi-year i was on the phone with with my friend who's helped me put it together like a multi-multi-year process but what's really cool and kind of putting together this show is that there's there's so many guests there are so many possibilities there's millions of companies in the space now hundreds of thousands of people all over the world it's like how do we pick where do we get this all most people are just talking most people are just talking and not doing you are actually one of those people that have done and are constantly doing you. You did this crazy original drop with my uh, doing, and and, and I want to. I want you to explain it because what you did with your Miles Davis, your Prince, your your DMX, all your drops, your NFT drops was really like the gold standard of how of where I see NFTs in the future. So you'll explain it to the listeners, but but really, like, um, what motivates you every single day? To be doing something new, different, and innovative. I just feel like as long as I'm learning, uh, you know, life is good. Uh, anything that becomes repetitive becomes a job. And I'm not interested in a job. I'm interested in, you know, being on the on the front end of not only of technology, of life, of experience. And, you know, to me, blockchain, the, the blockchain uh, space, Everything that it provides, the ecosystem provides, crypto, uh, NFTs, it's the future and it can't be missed. And so, you know, how do you say you're, you know, part of the future without being part of this movement? Let's go back to to when you had first published your books. Um, what was that like for you as an artist? Was it, e was it easy to get a publishing deal and to kind of get out there as an artist? And at the same time, is that why you've, you know, kind of come back and created a, uh, a solution for the problems that you've kind of faced? 
the traditional route, which was to get an agent. Everybody says, you have to get an agent. So I went that route and every, every agent was like, oh, nobody's interested in this. Uh, <laughs> it's well-written, but it's, yeah, it's not interesting. So I was like, you know, my whole community, this is something that we deal with, this is something we talk about. Um, I had a group of friends that would read um, chapters of the story and would just be, you know, giving feedback and really involved. So um, it was actually one of my friend's husbands who read the, the manuscript because he'd seen his wife reading it. And he was like, you know, what is this that you, you know, every break you get, you go and read this, these papers. So he became so um, engrossed in the story that he had a friend that at that time worked for BET Books. And um, he reached out to the publisher and sent them the manuscript and they contacted me and flew into Atlanta and offered me a two book deal. So I received the offer um, on the heels of also receiving a letter from an agent who said, yeah, nah, it's not gonna make it, it's not sales. <laughs> that particular one I wrote back and I said, you know, hey, thanks so much. Just got a deal, good to go. Uh, ironically, that agent reapproached me um, about a year later and was, you know, wanting to sign. I'm like, why would I sign with an agent now? So um, that that journey and knowing that there are so many authors like me who have a story to tell and couldn't get past the gatekeepers, couldn't get their stories out there because. You know, you have these individuals who determine whether or not your story has value and, you know, and it's seen through the lens of their world. So, you know, that became uh, a motivator for me to start my own publishing company, for me to get a reversion of rights on my books and for me to continue um, along that that route. I also have a background in film and television, and I found the same identical issue happening with filmmakers. And so I saw blockchain technology. I saw the NFT space eventually as being the road to disruption of all of this, you know, that you can get your content in front of the masses. You can tell your story. And not only that, but through the royalty system, you know, just to be able to continue to benefit on your works in perpetuity instead of, you know, that one-off kind of thing. Um, that, I mean, it's, it's just so beneficial. So all of that led to uh, me wanting to be in this space and wanting to open the door for others to tell their stories. And so I see myself as an anthropologist, as a storyteller. Every human being has the potential of producing some some work of art that can completely change the fabric of human society. Uh, you did it. Um, I try to do it with this show. Um, that's a it's a big ask, you know. Even on a small scale, everyone has the capability of 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 being there. You're in touch with with who you are. What was this manuscript? What was this so manuscript that you felt so impassioned about and so strong about? That now, that now that you've gotten it years later, now that you've gotten success with that years later, you want to come back and make sure that that using, and this is kind of where I get to the crux of it, using this new technology, we could allow all people 
to skip so many of the middlemen, but it's about discovery. It's about getting your your whatever that that work of art is into these discovery mechanisms so other people can find it without having to spend crazy amounts of money. Right. So the manuscript for me was reaching back. Like you said, it was the first. It was my baby. Um, and it was a story that I wanted to tell. Ironically, the story continued to grow and readers continue to um, ask for more. So that's how it ended up becoming a trilogy. Um, the publishing company actually just wanted a two book deal and to see you know, how well it did. And for them, it was their first work that was recognized as literary fiction. And then, you know, it began to uh, receive accolades and, and, you know, being picked up. And so from there, they were getting feedback from the readers and they said, look, there's got to be a part two. And so that's where Reborn came, came into the uh, picture. But it, it opens a door to be able to tell your story without, um, you know, the editorial you know, there's two types of editors. There's the editor who will refine and make it better. And then there's the editor who will try to rewrite your story um, or tell you what's pertinent and not pertinent. And so um, I see this technology to your point as being able to get the story in front of the audience. And then the next thing, you know, that's so important in this space and is often overlooked is that just because you put it out there, it's not filled with dreams. You can't build it and they will come. I mean, you have to build it, promote it, market it, talk about it, know where, you know, wh where your collectors are, um, and then begin to engage your community um, to move into a space that might not be comfortable for them. Because now you're talking about moving out people who are, you know, used to going on Amazon and downloading something to a Kindle and trying to explain to them the value that this will, the future value that this will have, or either, you know, creating memberships where you're releasing monthly chapters. So many opportunities there. That actually gives me some, some good ideas for, for kind of like my own project. So, I mean, um, what would be the first step for someone who has, uh, whether it's like something they've painted or something they've written or drawn, um, does does N do NFTs and, and this technology like allow you to maintain the rights to that the whole way through? In this technology, NFTs allow you, you to retain copyrights if you choose, and you know, or to release the IP. It's you know completely and singularly up to the creator. It's where they see value. Um, you know, we look at the, you know, the board yacht apes who didn't see the value of retaining the IP, but it was really a brilliant approach to market when you consider that, you know, for each individual who owns their individual board yacht ape, they also own the IP to it and then can market it in other ways or create another revenue stream. That was a brilliant approach. However, if you are a creator and this is your revenue stream, your continued revenue stream, and you see inherent value in retaining the IP, then certainly you should. I would think as an author, it would be important to, to retain the IP because if you sell it as an NFT, certainly, you know, continue to, you know, um, 
make royalties from secondary sales. However, if you release the IP and a filmmaker picks it up and rewrites your, you know, and turns and, and translates it into film or to whatever other medium, you've now lost the ability to uh, benefit from that. I'm looking. I'm looking at this from like a linear approach, and I think that's that's why I'm wrong. In my head, I'm always trying to like come up with solutions to to disruption, and. And I've been in the filmmaking world the past two years myself. And so maybe the way I need to think about NFTs and the relationship between, you know, filmmakers, artists, the the actors themselves, the distributors, the the sales agents, the buyers agents, the actual agents of the different talent, the oh my God, down to the grips, down to everyone involved in 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 the filmmaking process, location managers, first AD, second AD, third AD, everyone should have a piece of this project. And so maybe I'm thinking of it from, I need to think of it from more of like a collaborative function and not a linear. Cause the way I'm thinking of it is like, Hey, I'm Charlie. And I wake up one day and I say, I want to make a movie. I got to go out and find a good piece of IP, a good script. I got to develop the project, create budgets, cast it, find distribution before, you know, then rewrite your budget, shoot it post-production there's a lot of money involved, a lot of marketing. At the end of the day, you get a good distributor. You're still only probably getting 50% of your profits because between all of the agents and all the middlemen, and that's me, that's the potential investor in the film itself. But maybe I need to think of it on a more of like, if everyone involved in, in what I just said had their own identity represented as an NFT, and you could attach different people to different projects as puzzle pieces. Maybe yeah. that's kind of the future we can get to. I don't know. What do you think? I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, the the opportunity to also create your film as an NFT and to release it into market as an NFT, you are really, again, you're bypassing the um, distributor. And you're taking it to a global market with the current DOD, you know, uh, so digital on demand is anywhere from what, $3.99 to yeah. $39.99, right? I mean, you could mint 100,000 copies for $9.99. I mean, you know, you could, you know, and place it out into market or $39.99 or $29. I mean, you just, there's so many <laughs> spaces to play in. Um to receive, you know, to, to see a return on investment. I mean, not only that, but there's uh, one of the things that we're doing at Melanated um, for several filmmakers is we're minting their trailers and behind the scenes and, you know, creating unlockable content, uh, future, you know, future benefits to, you know, being a part of this initial type of membership group where they'll have other uh, films that they'll be able to watch as, you know, being a part of this, this group. So, I mean, there's many, many different approaches to filmmaking, but I definitely think that when you have the buy-in from your entire organization, you know, per film, and everyone sees how they're going to benefit, it's, it's a win-win. Yeah, I think it is a win-win. What, um, you have some, some works of art scrolling behind you that are very attractive. I keep looking back to them, what's going on there for those who are not watching? 
Okay, for those who are not watching, this is called Touching My Man. And this is a piece that I did. And um, it is just a movement of this woman who just can't seem to quite reach him. And he's standing still, he's right in front of her. But, you know, no matter how she reaches, she's not able to touch him. So um, it's a uh, generative art silhouettes um, that are in constant motion and movement, very slow and sensuous and transparent. And you, these, these are being sold as drops on uh, your website? These are being sold on the website. These, um, it's listed on Rarible at the Melanated Originals and, and Rarible. Um, and again, on our website at melanatedstudios.io. That's really beautiful. Thank you. Do you notice that there's like a different type of relationship between those who want to support the arts and the artists themselves as opposed to before? Because before you kind of knew who some of your supporters were, but you didn't because there no one's really transacting directly with you. And even if they're going through galleries, there's so many middlemen or whatever. But here, because everything is on chain, you don't have to trust. You can verify. Yes. Yes. And and not only that, you I mean, you get immediate feedback. I think for a lot of the artists that we work with and a lot that I've spoken to, the it's so, you know, uh, reinforcing and for them to be able to have one-on-one -on -one conversations or to get immediate feedback, especially as you're promoting, whether it's uh, having them, you know, do podcasts or interviews or do um, IG lives, Twitter spaces, any any place that they can interact and have feedback from an audience is just so valuable because it's, you know, typically you're creating in a vacuum. And unless you have an opportunity to be in front of, you know, which is few and far between, even if you're at a gallery, it's, you know, very subjective as to how that's going to turn out. Um, but that you get actual feedback from an audience that can be very positive and uplifting and really make it feel like it's making you feel like it's worth it. I, I have that problem right now. I mean, I don't get enough feedback for this show. The show's been around for almost three years. And twice a week, I spend, I, we release a show. I spend five days of a week. I spend most of my time producing the show, writing with all the people involved, editors, everyone. Uh, the, we have the most phenomenal team. And we're a top 200 podcast most of the time in the top 100s of these countries. But I get no feedback. Uh, the only time you get, the only feedback you get is if the downloads go up. You know you're doing something right. If they're not going up, you're doing something wrong. But that's a very delayed response. And you're still like shooting in the dark. You're throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. There's no. And so what? I could take the show and bring it to like. I love independent media. This show is 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 wildly independent, right? Like we control all the creative content. If I would take this show and like maybe sell it to a, a, an organization that owns a bunch of different shows They'd have production, you know, ed editor, they can control all, all of everything. But then I would be able to lock myself into like a paycheck and I'd be able to do this forever. Where now it's like some months you have advertisers, some don't. But it's all about the feedback. And I'm trying to figure out 
And I was, you know, message boards, forums, tweets, people writing you emails. It's not real time. And because it's, it's, it's personal, they're not going to give you the best feedback. And most people don't want to just don't do it. Uh, I'm guilty of the same thing myself. You don't write letters to every author of, of every book you wrote, you read, you don't, you don't, but if there was a incentivized relationship, real time feedback loop, that would be so wildly successful. Oh my God, Nia, that would be like a killer app for this whole industry. No, I know that would be, that would be because that is the, you, you just said it, that's the missing link. Um, and it's to be able to, you know, I can go back to the, the first book I read. I think, I mean, the first book I wrote, I think that that was like for me to have this, although they were a group of friends, but who were like, yeah, you know, don't kill this person. Do that, do that. You know, or I really like this, but I didn't like that. It felt different. I mean, I was more engaged in the process. Um, I wasn't in my head so much. And so you're right just to be able to have that, you know, feedback, that energy, that life that comes with, um, you know, that live audience. Um, I mean, I definitely agree with that. I don't know what that would be, but I mean, I believe that it would be, uh, <laughs> it would be the most popular app out there, I, you know, if, if that were to be developed. We're not just talking about the arts, but we're talking about if there was like a, private way of giving full-time real-time feedback loop but at the same time have some financial or non-financial or unique identity attached to that but but you know there is an identity behind it but you don't need to know who that identity is i mean look we're talking about talking about humankind here the more successful you get people around you don't want to be honest with you because they're afraid that you may kick them out of your group. So you're in this like vacuum. Like you say, Vladimir Putin is dealing with that right now. His generals are probably not even telling him the truth because they're afraid of him. Uh, not going to say blockchain technology is going to, would have solved that problem, but it's the same kind of thing. Do you switching gears for a second? You, you're working in film, you're working in music, you're working in, 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 in books. Do you ever find yourself at a point where people are not being honest with you because you were already successful and that you're struggling almost to know uh, who's telling you the truth because they want to work with you or who's just like, where do you, how do you know who's real and who's not? It's something people are dealing with every single day now. I, I literally have to trust my gut. Um, and I try to remove myself honestly from interactions until they're almost done. Like I'm the last person in the room instead of the first person in the room. So, um, before I even have the conversation with a potential client or, you know, vendor, I let my team tell me like where they are and what's going on. Um, and I'm a fly on the wall until I hear either something that inspires me to move forward or something that raises alarm bells and questions. Um, I don't tr- typically try to be at the front of any communication because I just feel like I get a better sense of the room 
uh, being the fly on the wall as opposed to being the one sitting at the head of the table. That's a really smart and good way of, of doing things. Uh, I need to think about that more. Definitely, definitely. You did this um, Miles Davis Synthesia NFT drop. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, it's um, Miles Davis saw, or it was believed that he saw uh, music through colors. And so synesthesia is the um, visual interpretation of that from a photo taken by Corky McCoy. Uh, Corky McCoy is Miles Davis's photographer and illustrator, and uh, or was. They were also best friends, and you know, called themselves cousins most of their lives. Um, this picture was taken of Miles on the top of the Chateau Marmont Hotel on Sunset Strip in 1970. And it was just before he was going to do a week at the uh, at Shelley's manhole, uh, which is no longer around, but it's the we have the original, uh, you know, Miles photo, uh, Corky McCoy's daughter, Blair McCoy, did the um, artistic interpretation. She's also an artist uh, like her dad. And um, the, there's movement and sound over the NFT. It's, it's a beautiful compilation, but the first release is just a static image of the synesthesia. And then um, we're following that up with the larger release and you know the, with unlockable content that goes along with it, but the even the images of you know Shelley's manhole is so retro seventies with the plastic letters that are splayed across the marquee that looked like someone threw them yeah. up at the last minute because they don't even match. They're just you know it's it's that it's it's so circa seventies, um, and we have so many images, but. Uh, Corky McCoy was also the illustrator for all of Miles' early albums, so he became uh, known, uh, or you know, as an iconic illustrator because of the art that he developed for uh, Miles's album covers, which Miles had to go to battle with Sony to to get because they were like, "Who's going to want this?" And he was yeah. like, "This is us. This is what we look like. This is how we live." So he did on on the corner. Water Babies, just so many uh, iconic Miles Davis uh, album covers. And ultimately, you know, when people began to know Miles for, you'd see a Miles Davis cover, you didn't need to see his name. You, you know, even that style of art and writing was the all, uh, you know, Corky McCoy. You did some other ones too, uh, DMX and DJ Superior with some unreleased songs. We have... Uh, also on Rareable and, and Melanated, we have a DMX 1990 to 1991 unreleased songs, um, artwork. We have um, DMX's uh, rhyme book, uh, one of his rhymes that was handwritten uh, to DJ Superior. Oh, that's that's so cool. Rhyme book. I'm trying yeah. to get a membership to Chateau Marmont, but I, alas, it's very difficult to do. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. Yeah. 
So yeah, really cool. I mean, we have the, the freestyle that we have of DMX is um, he and Superior were in a bodega, a bodega in um, in New York in Yonkers that they always went to. And when X was at the counter, he you know said, "Hey X, drop a beat," and he just started freestyling in the in the uh, bodega and. and uh, you know, Superior is recording it. It's just, it's so cool. And you can just see everyone in the bodega just stopped and they're just like allowing him to perform and enjoying the performance. And I'm certain that at that time, 1990, no one knew, you know, fast forward a few years that he would be the guy that would be on every award show and, you know, they'd see in movies. I, you just gave me an idea that I, that I want to write down, but I, um, I, uh, um, I was the exact one of the executive producers on a on a romantic comedy last year called "Ask Me to Dance," uh, and it's amazing with uh, um, Joyce DeWitt and Catherine Mary Stewart and uh, oh, nice. my wife Courtney Warner and, and Brianna Evigan from the Step Up movies, Mario Cantone from Sex and the City. It's an amazing ensemble cast. Um, Tom Malloy, of course, star of the movie, um, and it's now in, it's 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 uh, it's in post, and we're in the. Uh, got our distributor and we're working through the process, hopefully get a release date soon and all the fanfare and marketing that comes with that. But I paid some college kid just to follow me around on set for like those three weeks. And I have like hundreds of hours of just content unedited. Now when the movie does well, I'm going to NFT that shit. Cause there's some great right. stuff in there. That's right. I mean, you definitely can, <laughs> you definitely, you know, and it's, you might even want to cut it up into small bites and do behind the scenes at the same yeah. time that the movie is releasing. But apparently asking an editor to do a behind the scenes video is like asking someone to like film a bar mitzvah. Like it's just <laughs> it's very know. insulting. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't find the editor who's willing to do it. If anyone wants to, they have the job to send me an email. That's so funny. That's so true though. <laughs> That that film doing it and having an NFT relationship, I've not figured out how to do it. It's a dance film. I keep forgetting like that was the best part. Everyone was dancing. It's like a dance film. Um, I don't know what the, how that would work, but the one we just did a few months ago, we shot a movie in Scotland called, and it was on. Um, it's called Trauma Therapy Psychosis, and we actually did some episodes of Untold Stories from the set there. And then uh, we were on like uh, Dread Central and Rue Morgue. There's some pictures of the set and stuff like that. And that's more of like a everyone, every character. It's like if Tony Robbins, you know, decided to be evil and take his his most followed client, his most followed clients who have the worst problems to like a retreat in Scotland and, and messes with them. That's kind of what the what the whole um, what the whole movies with the whole movies about. So in that film, I could see how we could do a really cool thriller, horror NFT drop relationship with like could build out like a whole haunted house thing you can have there could be a whole cool thing so you could definitely have better relationships with that but how do we solve distribution how do we solve at the end of the day these four or five companies like comcast uh uh, uh disney all of these companies sony which is owned by someone else too they all own like the eyeballs they own all the eyeballs it's where you and i go at the end of the day to watch tv or movies you could do your own theatrical release. Yeah, you can put on Amazon, but it won't be found. 
how do we solve? And this brings me back to the beginning of the episode when we talked about discovery. These folks, that's why Spotify owns the music world because they're a discovery platform. You go there to find the next thing to listen to. How do we solve that? I have some ideas myself, but I kind of want to hear your thoughts. Yeah. So I am all about in terms of, I mean, in terms of getting beyond the distributor and there are, there are already those who are doing it, who are turning their films into NFTs. Um, but again, you market it the same way. I mean, even when you said like the, the theatrical release um, or putting it up on Prime, without the, without the correct marketing uh, and PR, you're just throwing a fish into water and hoping that someone will find it, right? So um, the way I'm involved in film and television is I own a film marketing company um, that markets film and television projects. Uh, bespoke media marketing and that whole um approach to getting the the film out there is probably the most overlooked by many filmmakers they'll you know they'll build up you know getting the right cast getting recognizable talent there's nowhere in it that they really mark you know put aside dollars that says okay we need to market this we need oh my god you don't even put money aside for post-production let alone marketing I know, I know. And so, you know, it's almost like you think of everything but the icing. <laughs> you got the cake. You just don't have any icing. Yeah. yeah and who know, wants so, to eat cake without icing on it? So it's getting it, you know, it's getting it to its audience. Our tagline is we find your tribe. And I, I just believe that is so important in everything. I mean, every every project has a tribe. Every film has a tribe. It's finding your tribe and letting them know that you're there, you know, engaging them, uh, creating that awareness. And once you whet their appetite, then you don't really have to find them again because they're always there waiting on you. They just want to see what you're going to do next. Um, So when we talk about moving into any space, whether and I believe that very shortly, you know, I've been kind of tracking a couple of um, platforms who say they're building out uh, for NFTs uh, to stream as film. Uh, you know, Anthony Hopkins released his last film, Zero Contact, as an NFT. Kevin uh, Smith been, is releasing his next film as one NFT, like just one, one NFT. NFT. Yes. Yeah. And I think he's already sold a previous one as an yeah. NFT. Yeah. So, I mean, we're certainly moving in that direction. The reason being is that, you know, they know that first sales, secondary sales, the potential that's there to really, you know, engage their tribe. That's what they're doing. If you're an Anthony Hopkins fan, you're going to, you know, you're more than likely going to go and purchase this NFT. Uh, But now you have the ability to bring people over from a space that they would normally be in. I mean, look at the Tory Lanez. you know, model. I mean, what he was able to do in the space. I think that in terms of bypassing the gatekeepers, whether they're, you know, a distribution service, um, streaming platforms, that's a train coming down the track. Um, Who that will be, you know, I don't know that it'll be a platform as much as it will be individuals who look at the space differently and say, hey, I want to do something different. I want to... I want to what? Sorry. Yeah, no, I want to add um, 
So if I'm going to do like with your film. You could literally do your film and do the traditional release and theatrical and then uh, mint an NFT and the differentiator would be, um, you know, the key art, the interviews with cast, some really cool BTS photos that, you know, you can give them access on the future benefits would be, you know, if they, you know, the first hundred to buy this NFT gets, you know, tickets for four to AMC to see the Yeah, theatrical. well, we, you do a theatrical release, which is, you do a theatrical release and the stars will go and you basically, the NFTs become your tickets to, to the release and to the parties yeah. and to the, uh, into the premiere. And I want to say another thing with the discovery platforms is that the, the way I understand the way I think this is going is that like, I, I watched a documentary on like the creation of Nickelodeon, which was a huge fundamental, like it had a huge fundamental impression of me as a child. I watched Nickelodeon every day. And the beauty of Nickelodeon was how they created content for kids by kids. There was there were, the kids were basically running Nickelodeon. And so it allowed for like the healthy uh, growth of our brains. But what he said was the only thing he wished he had, I forget the, uh, uh, no, she, she ran, who she, I forget her name. She ran Nickelodeon. She said, the only thing I wish we had is that we could reach out on the TV and like talk to our viewers. That's what an NFT is. Yes. It's literally the ability. So if you have all of these, like, Think of them as little AA batteries floating around that has all of this viewing data and the people, the viewers actually own it. And there, there's a relationship now. You can build out a decentralized discovery platform just by taking all of these NFTs and like running them through some sort of algorithm or whatever. You can yes. have like someone can go to a website and say, okay, please let us see what NFTs you're holding of the films you watched and we'll suggest the next film. Boom. Just kill distribution yeah. right there. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, I, I believe the distribution, if, you know, and I think they'll probably pivot at some point to change their model to try to figure this market out right now. I think they, I think there is a group of individuals who pray that this is just a passing, you know, phase and that people will look the other way soon. And then I think within that space, there's a group of individuals who are like, no, it's here to stay. But what does that mean for us? Are we safe? Uh, do we need to modify and change? And if we do, how do we embrace this without changing too much? Uh, and fully jumping on. So I think we're three to four years down the down the road before we see any substantive change with any of the distribution studios um, to determine what they're going to do next. But I think within the space, within the ecosystem, I think we're less than a year away of seeing something uh, tangible developed that will reset the table. I don't like to use the term artist. I like to use the term creator because artist implies you have to like have made money from it or a career or you're like other people like your stuff. But uh, I'm not an artist. I'm a creator. So what advice would you have for creators looking to continue creating what they're already doing, but at least get themselves started with that 
real-time feedback loop of other people. Even if those other people are saying, hey, what you're making is, is shit, at least cr- start to create that that discovery mechanism. Like, do you have any places people could go or sites they can check out uh, to get started? Well, I think if someone's creating, personally, I think that whatever you're inspired to create, I believe that you should be confident in that. Um, and move in your own space because that's what makes you an original. And the minute that you begin to need reinforcement to create, then you're not creating from your core, you're creating from someone else's desire, which will be consistently changing and you will never measure up. So I think that if you're a creator, create. And when you're ready, put it out. And, you know, some people are going to love it and some people are going to hate it. It's like anything else in life. So, um, you know, once you're ready to to go out in whatever spaces, I mean, right now, the hottest spaces are going to be Discord and Twitter and Reddit in terms of getting immediate, like, I love it. I love it. You know, you know, or I don't. Typically, the I don't, you're, they're either super, super vocal or very, very negative. Um, and that's just part and parcel of the world that we live in right now. Um, but, you know, also to a very limited amount, um, I hesitate to say IG because the algorithms are just kind of iffy right yeah. now. So most people are not moving in those spaces. So, but I mean, I think that, you know, Twitter is, is great, especially in, you know, if you're, if you're looking to move into the NFT space, um, Twitter, Discord, and just get familiar with it. I mean, you know, move around in it. You know, create your own showcase. Create your own platform to but showcase. But I like what you and- said. Remember, I like what you said, and this is, and I feel stupid that I sh- I didn't really focus on this more during the show. Is that at the end of the day, you create for you. And so whether, so the feedback loop that you need or discovery mechanism is so you can potentially monetize all of it and get it out there. But at the end of the day, don't do that to lose sight of why you created that art in the beginning. Right. Thank you. Yeah. For me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. You're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Nia, Anna, Simone, thank you so much for, for taking the time and coming on untold stories. Um, I want my listeners to go out and read your books uh, check out your drops, follow what you're doing, uh, and be inspired by how, you know, how far you've gotten until today. And are you in LA, by the way? I'm in Atlanta and we are hosting the first NFT Atlanta con May 24th through the 26th. So anyone that's, um, anywhere, we literally, we have global speakers. Oh, I'm going to try to come, come to that. I'm, I don't live not far from Atlanta. I'm only a few hours oh, away. Okay. Yeah. Now, Make sure nftatlanta-con.com, you know. I think can this year is like May. Yeah, it's right after. Like it's May 23rd or something. I'm speaking there. Uh, Oh, I'll be there too. Oh, oh, fantastic. Okay, so we'll definitely have to meet up then. We'll show you my movies. Yeah. If anyone's in (laughs) can, this is how I I remember how to pronounce it, like a can of corn. Yeah, it's like... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I'm I'm there from the 17th to the 21st, and then I'm Amazing. back in Atlanta. <laughs> All right, so. you're my first can meeting. Boom, we're gonna go hang Fantastic. out at the Palais. I'm very excited. 
I have a booth because I have a distribution company also. Yeah, my my partner Tom Malloy, he's been on the show twice. He's great. You'll meet him too there. Uh, he's like I, he's like my cousin. We're so close. I I should I'm gonna yeah. take that from Miles Davis. But he um he has he's been doing distribution for 20 years. He's got a booth there, foreign sales mostly. So I'll introduce okay. you guys. See, we can do some cool collaborations together. I'm very oh, excited. I love that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm speaking there. I I think on the 20th. Okay, awesome. Uh, oh, I wonder if we can do like an NFT. Is there? Is it a panel or a talk? Because I could interview you or something like that live right, on stage. Yeah. No, cool. Um, now I'm doing a panel, um, and I'm not sure. I don't have all of the details yet, but I know it's on the twentieth. I'm gonna come watch. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm gonna come watch uh, and maybe record it. Let the I'll get permission to let me record it. Oh, cool. Let me record, talk cool. About it. I'm excited. This is cool. Well, thank you so much. I've appreciated it, Charlie. Thank you. <laughs>